You know, every new church year, I have the privilege and blessed by the pastoral team to be the senior pastor and preach the same message across three congregations to the Cantonese congregations, to the Mandarin congregation, and they come together as a combined worship and to the English uh, congregation as well so that we hear the same message together as a church. Um, before we go full speed forward in this new church year, which typically we get excited and move forward. And, and people ask me, Pastor, what would you give to us this year? I say, well, I always go back to the basics. Before we can go full speed, you must know why you are going. You must know where you are going. We must revisit the fundamentals that point us in the right direction. You see, in the coming new church year, is a very significant year. This will be the year we will be dedicating our new building, hopefully by March next year. And this will be the year, new church year, that we'll be celebrating our 35th anniversary. Again, March next year. If we can have that combined together, that will be truly wonderful. And we will hope we will be installing new leaders as well. And, and it is time for us to affirm who we are and why we are doing what we are doing and then we can journey together strong and long with Jesus Christ. So as we begin uh, this year with a new message, I just want to share with you uh, in my uh, PowerPoint on what it means to be a vibrant church. A vibrant church of disciple makers that reproduces vibrant churches. That's our vision. That's where we are moving. And what do you mean by vibrant church? We believe that a vibrant church loves God and people passionately. A vibrant church lives authentically on discipleship. And a vibrant church will give generously as the stewards all that God has given us. And a vibrant church will go courageously. Now, there are more spiritual disciplines that can be added, but as a church, we just identify four indicators and say, if we can really achieve these four areas well, we'll be wonderful. We can truly live a vibrant life for Jesus Christ. So let's come together as we study love passionately as the first message on Matthew 22, 34 to 36. Uh, and then we read all the way to 40. Let's read together. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Sorry. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You know, as you look at the context, before Jesus came to this part of the teaching here, uh, the tension between Jesus and the religious uh, leaders were escalating. In the preceding passage, there were the Pharisees and the Herodians. They plotted against Jesus on whether it is lawful to pay taxes to Caesar. And you remember, Jesus silenced them by saying, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God things that are God's. And they were silenced. And then the Sadducees came with a doctrinal issue concerning the resurrection, basically asking Jesus if a widow 
remarried seven times. And in the days of resurrection, which one is her real husband? And you remember how Jesus answered, right? Jesus told them that in the resurrection, they will be like angels in heaven, and they will not have any marital relationships. And now, as we read this passage here, now, a lawyer, a lawyer not in our sense of understanding as attorney, a lawyer probably a very prominent scribe, uh, the, the teacher and interpreter of God's law, asked Jesus a question in verse 36. And he asked him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Okay, why was he asking this question? Because besides the Ten Commandments, they came up with 613 rules and regulations and the laws that they have to abide with. Just the Pentateuch, the five books of the Bible in the first five books of the Bible, there were plenty of, of alignment and things that they have to abide by that were required by the law. And what a great idea it would be if we know which one is the greatest, if we know which one has the priority, which one is the first, then at least we get the first and the most important right if we miss all these other things, like 613 commandments, but at least we got the first right. We got the most important right. We major the major. And that would be really helpful. And you know, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You see, loving God is the law of the heart. That's what is loving God. And Jesus said, this is the great and the first commitment. And that brings us to the first point. Loving God is our priority because this is the great and the first commitment. You shall love the Lord your God. You know, we are so much affected by the love we understand today. And we naturally think of it as a feeling. If it feels good, it's love. Love must give you good feelings, right? But the love that Jesus talks about here is not just emotional feelings. It is the agape love that we talk about in the church here. Not the phileo, the friendship, friendly kind of a love, which we need that. And not the eros, the sensual love, which we need that in our marriage. But the highest form of love, the agape love, the love of God. The kind of self-giving love. The kind of sacrificial love. And you shall love the Lord, your God, with that kind of a love. You know, loving God is our priority. But loving God is demanding. It is active. It is for those who have experienced the love of God because loving God is so hard. See, by our nature, we don't love God. We were enemies of God. We are basically lovers of self by nature. By our inclination. Only when we experience the love of God that we love God in return. So 1 John chapter 4, verses 10 and 19 clearly states that in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. To satisfy the wrath of God. We love because He first loved us. 
When we experience the love of God, when we have an expanded understanding of the love of God, we tend to love in return. We tend to love God with the kind of agape love. You know, a vibrant church begins with loving God and people passionately. And that's why we preach through that four indicators. And that's why before we even launch and go out there, we always go back to the basics. Loving God is the basis of all that we do. Loving God is the basis of a vibrant church. You know, they are the greatest commandment because the purpose for God, of God for human is to love God and to love others so that we can fulfill God's purpose for our lives. And that's creation. That's the creation and purpose of God's creating us. So today, when you say be yourself as Christians, be yourself as God intended, it means love God and love people because that's what we were created for, to love God and to love people. So our vision as a church, to be a vibrant church, is undergirded by the conviction that we have to love God. That if we say that we believe in God, that we follow Jesus Christ, that we can't take Him for granted. That to believe in God and to take God for granted, it's irony. It's conflicting. It's contradictory in terms. That if you believe in God, you can't mock Him. You can't use Him. You can't trivialize Him because they are contradictory in its terms. When you love God, you honor Him, you follow Him, you obey Him, you lift Him up, you worship Him. And God is calling us to love God with the agape love, self-giving and sacrificial love as a church together as we grow. But secondly, it also reminds us that loving God is our passion. You see, verse 37 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And in other Gospels, it even adds on all your might, your strength. You see, loving God is more than emotional attachment. It means giving yourself entirely, entirely to that person. It is holistic. The heart, the mind, the soul, even the strength. And commentators will say, well, the heart represents the whole being. Okay? Our heart is like the whole person. Uh, and then the mind is the intellectual capability. And then the soul is your emotions. But you know what? You can't really tightly separate them. So the whole idea is it is about the whole person. It is your whole being, in your thinking, in your feeling, in your actions, in everything that you have. Honor God, loves God. It is not only holistic, but it is also all-consuming. Three times, three times, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. It is all in or nothing at all. That when you love God, when you follow God, when you worship God, He wants everything. No reserve, no regret, and no return in your whole being. It is all-consuming. You see, when you love God, it moves you, it consumes you, it touches you. 
I don't know how many of you love classical music, but I, I love classical music, sometimes going to the concert. One of the most frustrating experiences for a, a passionate music lover like classical music um, is to sit near audience who talks and, and, and munches on potato chips. You feel like violating the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not murder, you know. Why, why, why do you even come, right? If you want to munch, go to McDonald's, right? If you want to talk, go to a park, right? This is, this is concert hall. The, it was acoustically treated so that the, the sound from the string and from the pipes and everything would just travel and fill the whole place. There is no dead corner when it is built right. So everywhere you sit, the sound travels. And you are soaked into the experience of the rich music. Well, for a music lover, you talk like that. But for non-music lovers, you know, they can talk and they can munch on potato chips. And then you feel like, why, why are you even here? You don't belong here, maybe, you know. Go someplace else. Let me enjoy my music, right? You feel like you are mocking the classical music. That's how it feels when you have passion for something. And love is like that. When you love God passionately, you are consumed by that. You know, one of the, one of the uh, pastors, one of the uh, uh, professors of, of ministry that I really uh, admire and have been Im uh, impacted with, you have heard me mention his name a few times, Eugene Peterson. He passed uh, this year, unfortunately written many books on ministry and I read many of them and his understanding and philosophy of ministry really impacted me and especially in one of the books that is titled Under the Unpredictable Plant when he talked about Jonah's experience and using Jonah's experience as a way to talk about ministry and how we respond to God he says God and passion were the essentials for living God was the reality with whom we most had to do. A, a passionate response was the only adequate response. When you believe God as the ultimate reality, when you believe God as the highest being that is worthy of your worship, then the only right response, the only adequate response is to have passion for God. How can you follow God and worship God and not have passion? That's contradictory in the terminologies. It's irreconcilable when we say we follow God and not have a heart, not have a love, not have passion for Him. And he says, God and passion, Eugene Peterson says, God and passion is why I am a pastor. God and passion is why I became a pastor of a local church. He says, I want to live in the presence of God to live with passion and to gather others into the presence of God and introducing them into the possibility of a passionate life for God. That's the only way. That's the only right way. That's the only adequate way we should respond to God when we believe in God, when we follow Jesus is to have passion for Him. I was, I was really impacted by that. 
God, and passion. They come together. You can't have either one. You must come together. You know, a commentator said these words that I felt was so, so sharp, cutting, and so right. He says, too often in the church, love is used as an excuse to take the path of least resistance instead of the path of excellence. When telling the truth would be uncomfortable, we practice equivocation and call it love. How frequently, he says, love is a code for smiling at biblical illiteracy and winking at theological incompetency. Our definition of love is often suspiciously easy on and for us. But it is not a definition of love that Jesus is working with in Matthew 22. And Jesus, we see that in the stories, he thinks that to love God with the whole being, whole self, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, is demanding, it is risky. And following the path of love leads him to jump into debates and conflicts with his whole self. And love leads Jesus into all kinds of situations and that are not just uncomfortable, but dangerous. And eventually, love gets him killed. Love brought Jesus to the cross to be crucified. And a vibrant church must be indicated by this kind of love because love is risky and love is demanding because love is passionate. When you love God, you will be passionate because that's the only right response to God. And thirdly, Jesus didn't stop there. He continues with verse 38 and quoting Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You know, when the Pharisees, when the scribes came to Jesus and asked that question, what is the great commandment? He was looking for one answer. All Jesus needed to give was, okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That was what the lawyers were looking for. But Jesus went beyond that. Jesus did not stop there. Jesus said, this is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. Pay attention to that two little simple words there. Like it. It is equally important. Just like the great commandment. You can do without it. Just loving God itself is not enough. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It is not as if there's a priority, okay? Loving God first, and then loving people second. But to Jesus, you need both. Both has to come together. And Leon Morris, a very famous New Testament scholar, he said that Jesus uh, if, if we love God wholeheartedly, 
we need to see other people as God sees them. And all people as the objects of God's love. And therefore, anyone who truly loves God with all his being must and will love others. And this is a follow-up that completes loving God, is to love people. Loving God and loving people, they all come together. And when we talk about loving people, it indicates a concrete responsibility. The act of being useful and beneficial to one's neighbor. To give to someone what that person needs. And verse 40 says, On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You see, the entire Old Testament hinges on the love of God and others because they bring fulfillment to the law and the prophets. You must see the law and the prophets in the Old Testament through the lens of loving God and loving others. And and these commandments bring the heart relationship with God. You see, Old Testament often emphasizes on the heart of flesh and not the heart of stone. Remember that? That he talks about the circumcision of the heart, not just physical body. That he talks about to offer sacrifices to God that reflects your heart. Not just the animals, the values of the animals, but if your heart is not right, then it is all in vain. Old Testament has been warning through the, mouth, through, the, through the lips of the prophets and others of the importance of the heart. So without love, without love, the law will be cold compliance to its legalistic requirements. And without love, the prophetic teaching will be harsh rebukes and judgments that leave no room for grace and second chance. And that's why love completes the prophets, and love God and love people completes the law. I know loving people is hard. It takes discretion and discernment and wisdom. But guided by God's love, we learn how to love others. Love God and love people as God intends for us to do through His creation purpose. You know, I was talking to a young person in college, second or third year. Grew up in the church, strong Christian faith, but he was challenged. He said, you know, I, 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 I have to admit I was deeply influenced by existentialism. He said, I grew up in church and thinking that all that I learned is wonderful, God's way, follow God's way, but later on I was challenged by all these existential sharp minds. They challenged me and said, you know, you you Christians, you are controlled by God. You have no choice. We we have choices. We can live the life we wanted. We can do things that we are passionate about. But Christians, you don't have that. You only do it God's way and God tells you what to do. So your life is dictated you are compartmentalized and you have no options and choices to do what you want and desire to do because God basically wiped that out for you and say, this is the only way and this is the only thing that you should be doing. 
and he challenged me on that. He talks well, he, he's articulate, and uh, I was engaging with him. I said, no, 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 by the way, let me, let me insert, let me insert, stop, stop, stop for me. We are moved by God to willingly and passionately to love Him. I was not dictated by God to love Him because God gave me free will. I was moved by His love. I was moved by the cross of Jesus. I was moved by His incarnation coming and live among us in this world. And, and the way I serve Him and the way I respond to Him, I, I did it willingly and, and sacrificially. No one can force me love God because I was moved by God's love. I was touched by Him. So I am only responding to Him. And you know what? When I am loving God and loving people and do the best of my ability, I know that I am at my best and that will be the most fulfilling way because God created me for that purpose. I have a lot of choices, but I choose to follow Jesus. I have a lot of choices, but I choose to do it God's way. Because I love Him and He loves me. And that's the kind of love that we are called to follow and called to walk together today. And I want to give you a very simple message today. A vibrant church is indicated by the wholehearted pursuit of loving God and people. That is the first indicator of a vibrant church, is to love God and people passionately. But you know what? Moving forward and going ahead is not as simple as you think because we have com competitors. <laughs> we have people competing for that love. And, and we have to admit that sometimes we are confused, we are lured into different kinds of love. But do we actually have competitors? Do we? If there's only one God and there's no other gods, how can there be competitors? Uh, competitors might be on equal terms, right? You compete on equal terms. If there are so many gods, then they are competitors. But there's only one God. Where, where, where are the competitors? They are not competitors. They are cheap substitutes, and we call them idols. In manufacturing, you'd call them copy, pirated. In academic world, you call it plagiarism. In social media, you call it fake news. They are idols. There's no competitor. God is the only true God. How do you compete with God? But we are distracted. We are distracted by idols. Idols that try to substitute for God. And what is competing for your total commitment to love God and to love Him passionately? That idol you and I need to crush. As human, as people, as God's people still living in this world, oftentimes we are reflecting the lyrics of that song, Come Down Found of Every Blessing by Robert Robinson. He says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the Lord I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. For the three or four stanzas in that song, that phrase, that few sentences really stand out for me. 
prone to wonder, Lord. I feel it. I know it. I tend to wonder. I want to love you passionately, but my heart wonders. And that's a reality. And I'm prone to leave the Lord I love. So Lord, I got to make a commitment to follow you. I got to give you my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it with the Holy Spirit. And seal it for the courts above as I journey and walk with the Lord unto Him. Who are the competitors? Idols. What are competitors? The kind of a Jesus plus life. That Yes, I follow Jesus, but plus all these things. If you meet those conditions, if you give me plus, 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 yes, I'll be there. The utilitarianism approach to following Jesus. But we do have many, many things in life. We live in a material world, so we need material things. We need money, we need jobs and all that, all that thing. But the key is Jesus is the center. That when the pluses become minuses, Jesus is still the center. That Jesus is always the center of my life, even though they are competitors as I walk with Him. And secondly, loving God is costly. Loving God is costly. The fact that you are sitting here tells you and me that you sacrifice something to be here. Okay? You are not on a long weekend trip to Arizona or to Yosemite or to Oregon and Seattle for the long weekend, but you choose to stay. You sacrifice something. Love is costly. You've got to give up something. For the short-term mission teams who takes two weeks to go to Taiwan or to Kenya. It's costly. Some of them have to use vacations. Others have to uh, make special arrangements to be able to go out there. Eating different kinds of food, dealing with different culture, and sometimes speaking different languages. Loving God is costly. But loving God passionately means you will bear the cost willingly. You choose to do that. You know what you're getting into, but you choose to pay the price for it because you know it's worth it. Because you know God, loving God has to be passionate, and to be passionate, it costs you. It will cost you. Sometimes I read this blog that are very helpful. Um, this Jenica, she wrote something as a psychology uh, major. Uh, she said, stop confusing hobbies with passions. Passions are often confused with hobbies, but there's a critical difference. A hobby is a pursuit outside one's regular occupation, engaged in especially for relaxation. Passions, on the other hand, are not relaxing. Passions don't leave you alone. Passion insert themselves into your life, whatever, whether you have time for them or not. Passion soothe you and drive you crazy at the same time. We think of passion as something we love, an overwhelming feeling of devotion and obsession. And in the old English, she said passion also means suffering. So the question of finding your passion is not discovering what you like, but what you would be willing to suffer for to keep doing. You know you have found your passion when you will continue to pursue it despite what it may cost you. So you say, I noticed that I had to cram for exam in my sophomore year because I spent all semesters documenting 
uh, a certain pro project with my camera more than studying. So she said, actually, my, my passion is, is photography. My passion is taking pictures. That's my passion. I thought all the while that psychology is, is my passion, but it is not. Just look at my time schedule. She said, well, I, I didn't notice that when I raced home from my psychology internship in Germany and spent hours and hours uploading my latest travel photos to my blog. That's my passion. She says, I didn't notice that I would write a research paper as quickly as humanly possible and then stay up into the night perfecting my blog and perfecting all the photos that I have taken with excruciating care. That's passion. I think she asked that right question. So what do you spend hours doing? What are you willing to sacrifice time, money, sleep, and vacation for? What can't you stay away from? That is your passion. If your work is not your passion, then your passion is what makes you late for work. It's what makes you rush through everything so you can get back to your passion. A young girl's blog, but so true. So true. What is your passion? As we begin this new church here, building a vibrant church together, we begin with loving God passionately, loving people passionately. You see, my question is not whether you love God. I believe you love God. Otherwise, you will not be here. My question is, do you love God and love people passionately? How would you respond to that? How would you answer that? Do you love God passionately? As Eugene Peterson says, that's the only way. That's the only way for God worshipers and God followers to show passion because that's congruent to what it should be. When there's God, you love Him passionately. God and passion comes together. You have God. My question is, where is the passion? What happened to the passion? Could it be competitors, competitors that is sapping away that passion, that is drawing you away from passionately following God? Could it be idols of your life that you can't get rid of and you worship that idol more than you worship God? Could it be? I don't know. I think you have to answer that. I can't answer that for you. God, and passion, they go together. Let's pray. What would be your answer if you have to answer right now? Do you love God passionately? You know, I think this is a good question for us to bow our heads and, and reflect together. Because a vibrant church is a church who loves God and people passionately, and we want to grow together as a vibrant church. Could you pray to God and say, God, I want to, I want to love you, but also love you passionately. And if there are areas, things, lifestyle, that is sapping away my passion, I want to come back to that. I want to come back to my passion for you. 
and, and grow together and build a vibrant life for you. Just pray to God as you res respond to Him. Lord, thank you for reminding us. Our Lord Jesus, thank you for the way you respond to the, to the lawyer, to the scribes, on what is the greatest and the first commandment. But you didn't stop there. You also mentioned the second. Not that it is secondary importance, but it has to follow up by loving people as well. So Lord, as we learn how to be a vibrant church, who believes that one of the vibrancy, one of the indicators of a vibrancy is to love God passionately. Lord, I pray, I pray that you bring back the passion for us. Sometimes we are like the centurions who says, Lord, I love you, but my faith is not strong enough. I want to love you, but my love is not strong enough. May you make up the difference. Make up for our lacking. Bring your love into our hearts. Extend our understanding of how much God loves us as a way to remind us that we need to respond accordingly. Oh Lord Jesus, I pray that as we church, grow together and journey together, that passionate love is our indicator, is our mark as a vibrant church. In Jesus' name we pray.